0: Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. An energy crisis, an eccentric tech entrepreneur, and the small state of South Australia. How do all these things come together? And what is being done across the world to work on large-scale grid storage technology? How do batteries fit into the whole scheme of things, from cars to the grid, and what else is being done to further reduce the impact on our environment of all these batteries? Elon Musk, entrepreneur, innovator, and likes to think of himself a bit like Tony Stark, but perhaps a bit more benevolent. does a lot of things. Sometimes it's announcing a large tunnel-driven company to solve LA's traffic woes called the Boring Company. Other times it's proposing outlandish and wacky ideas to revolutionise transport like the Hyperloop, or things that are simple and straightforward like autonomous delivery of rocket ships to space stations. He's known for doing many things that push the envelope, but this week he's announced that he will be building an incredibly large 129 megawatt hours of energy storage battery site in South Australia. Just how did we arrive at this situation where, for want of a better term, the real world Tony Stark has taken an interest in one of Australia's smallest states and basically promised them he'll build them a power plant or power battery storage plant in a hundred days, or it's free. To understand what's really going on here, we have to go all the way back to september twenty seventh, twenty sixteen, when a one in a fifty year storm event happened, which caused huge. Damage to transmission lines wind turbines and pretty much anything sitting in South Australia at the time This windstorm swept across the state causing ridiculous amounts of damage But the problem was in that kind of wind well wind turbines can't run Otherwise, they are overspin and take out their own tower and base and that is incredibly dangerous So they, they try and lock the turbines down in that instance Likewise, a lot of other things were happening on the lines themselves. Those big, chunky things that you see in the landscape, those transmission lines, well, they also couldn't handle all that wind. Several of them were literally tipped over. And that is not good because for South Australia, a small isolated pocket or corner of Australia, they rely on those massive transmission lines to not only ferry electricity in and around the state, but also to get electricity in to the state from larger states like Victoria, New South Wales and Queensland. Without those transmission lines, South Australia is isolated and alone. And that's exactly what happened. Because several of those big transmission lines tripped, uh, basically shut themselves down because they had a surge in power or fell over. And that cascade effect caused even more ones around the state to fall over as they tried to shoulder the burden of carrying all the demand of the state. And that sort of cascade caused a lot of issues. When, add in the fact that the turbines shut off and gas peaking plants were too slow to kick in, you basically ended up with statewide blackouts. And months later, several political firestorms and argy-bargy and debate at a state and federal level led to a detailed investigation being conducted by Australia's chief scientist, Telk entrepreneur monash graduate former chancellor of monash university too, dr alan finkel and he poured over the results of this all the reports from the australian electricity market operator amo all the reports of expert engineers and analyzed not just the problems in south australia but the grid in general made a series of recommendations and part of that is a number of different things that could be done to improve the stability of the grid in such extreme circumstances Ultimately, months later, we're still debating this. And some point early on in the debate, Elon Musk tweeted out a promise. And we live in a world where tweets from everyone from the American president to tech entrepreneurs has carry a lot of weight. And he basically said, look, I can build you a massive-scale battery storage plant in 100 days. Oh, it's free. And, well, political investigations debate a tender process later. Here we are with Tesla in a consortium with a French energy firm named Neon have been officially awarded a contract to build this massive battery plant, including that clause about it being delivered in 100 days or it being free. Now, the array will store about 129 megawatt hours of energy. It means it could only really supply about 129 megawatts of power output for about an hour if it was just being drained down. Uh, That's equivalent to about maybe 30,000 homes. Now, that seems like nowhere near enough to power a state like south australia but the purpose of this plant isn't so much to be a full base load provider it's actually its job is to store electricity and carry it over and move the peaks so that when you have a sudden surge in demand even if it's only for a second can stabilize that and that's really what you're looking for because a lot of these things that we're talking about come back to the concept of power generation and peak load <music> Think about it this way you have a pipe that can basically push through let's say a litre a minute and you with your glass are standing at the end of that at that pipe and you turn on the tap and you are and you get out maybe a quarter of a litre and that's not a problem then your friend comes on and also gets a quarter of litre of that tap at the same time still no problem that pipe can keep pushing through that water now a third friend comes along and that's all good even if your fourth friend comes along all four of you can share that one litre of water from that tap from that pipe no problems The real problem comes along when your fifth friend comes along, also asking for a quarter of water at the same time. All five of you can't get one and a quarter litres worth of water out of that pipe at the same time. And that's effectively the problem that we have here. All of our energy use has these peaks when everyone is trying to use electricity at the same time. They follow a diurnal pattern. So peak in the morning, peak in the afternoon, low overnight. And even industry follows that same level of pattern. That's just the way our lives work. And the issue is, if we all turn on and ask for electricity at the same time, then we need to have space to serve that extra person or they miss out. So now I need to build a whole other pipe to deliver water to this person. And that pipe is going to be underutilized most of the time, sitting there not being used if just me is turning on my tap and getting my quarter of a liter out. But to serve all five of us at the same time, you need to have these two big pipes. And that's really the problem here. That peak load, that extra little bit, doesn't seem like a lot, actually causes you have to almost double or triple size your infrastructure. So the purpose of this battery is to build up a tank so that that fifth person comes along asking for that also at the same time, that half a litre or quarter a litre of water, they can just take some out of that tank, that battery and we don't have to build a whole new plough plant. Then when that person goes away, that tank can be topped up and refilled. So you're never draining out that tank fully. It's not supplying the whole state. It's just serving that little peak demand period and shifting that peak to a point where we can better use that infrastructure that we have. So what's going to happen in South Australia? Well, they're going to build this big power bank, this power pack, large fridge-sized battery units. They weigh about 12 100 kilograms each and they're going to be built in jamestown it's about 230 kilometers north of adelaide and it'll be paired with a wind farm nearby that will top up this battery storage. and it's going to be great because that means that south australia will be a little bit more resilient and less reliant on the other states for electricity so when peak load boosts happen in queensland or new south wales they don't cause a shortage in south australia Now, they're not the only people building large scale renewable sources in South Australia. Lion Group, which also bid in that tender, uh, is put in a 330 megawatt solar generation facility and a 100 megawatt battery storage facility as well which has about 3.4 million solar panels. And that they built that in the Riverland area of South Australia. They've already got a smaller one that's about 120 megawatts. And they're basically doubling that. So there's a lot of investment going on in South Australia right at the moment to be sort of a hub for renewable energy. And that's very, very good because South Australia doesn't have much other choice. They don't have much coal. They don't have much water, so hydro isn't really an option in comparison to, say, ACT or Tasmania, which are almost 100% renewable thanks to the hydro schemes they have there. So they have to rely on wind, much in the same way as Victoria does, because that's pretty much all they have an abundant source of. Solar, naturally, as well in Australia, is another major source of electricity that they're going after too. Now, geothermal in Australia isn't as popular, mostly because, well... We're not as geologically active as places such as New Zealand, and therefore the cost of geothermal is makes it a bit too expensive to consider for example in canada a lot of research has been done into when it makes sense to invest in geothermal energy for heat pumps because it saves the the challenge of having to go buy gas cylinders to power your heating in remote areas in canada but the problem is it's very very expensive around twenty thousand dollars canadian dollars which is almost the same in australian dollars to put in a pump a geothermal pump to pump water down into the ground to get warmed up and bring it back to the surface to provide heating and that's doesn't really pay itself off over 10 years or so of energy cost. But in some areas of Canada with a small subsidy and places that are remote where energy costs are high, then you could get down to like seven year payback period, which means it starts to make sense. And things like that are why companies like Google are investing heavily into R&D to make geothermal power also a viable option. It's sort of one of those ones that's been ticking along in the research in some countries but not really getting the fame or glory that these battery storage facilities or solar power are getting. Nowhere near as much investment as say as what's happening in wind. But it's, it's starting to happen with Google just spinning off and separating out their geothermal research group to be called Dandelion into a separate company. <music> is powering this big battery storage thing with their lithium ion batteries and these lithium ion batteries are the things that go into their cars and make them work it's really the key technology of those cars and they have a gigafactory based in Nevada which is churning out batteries after battery after battery and that's how they're able to promise that they can deliver such a large amount of batteries so quickly and it's looking to produce about 35 gigawatt hours of auto and stationary batteries by 2018 which is just a huge amount of batteries that's just a crazy amount of batteries that they're pumping out there. But they're not the only ones pumping out batteries for automotive or for stationary use. China is, in fact, producing about 62% of the world's lithium-ion batteries globally. Uh, there's just huge plants across China, including the CATL facility, which produces about 50 gigawatt hours of batteries a year. Now, United States has another further 22%, which is mostly Tesla. South Korea at 13%, and the EU at 3%. The EU is looking to improve their contribution quite substantially. They do have the facilities in Sweden, Hungary and Poland at the moment for large-scale lithium-ion battery production. But Daimler, the large German automotive company which owns Mercedes-Benz, is spending about €500 million to get in on the game. And all these new players coming into the market, also producing lithium-ion batteries, means that the price, which is at the moment uh, around 271 us dollars per kilowatt hour should drop down to about 156 dollars per kilowatt hour by 2021 which is what the mercedes-benz research institute is uh, calculating it on and that's really really good because the cheaper these batteries are the means the more they can get out there and the more benefit we can give to the environment So aside from stationary charging stations like the Tesla facilities or the PowerPack or Powerwall on the residential level, most of the major automotive manufacturers are now targeting to have either all-electric or hybrid vehicles by around 2020 to 2030. Now, France, for example, which has some of the largest automotive manufacturers in Europe outside of Germany, which include Renault, Citroen, and so on, have announced that by 2040, petrol and diesel vehicles will be banned to be manufactured in France or used in France, which is a very, very aggressive target. And they basically said that they're going to have this aggressive target in order to contribute toward the Paris Climate Accord. Now, to have no petrol or diesel vehicles by 2040 in France, they need to have the market producing a lot of electric or hybrid vehicles now. Volvo, for example, has said it's going to phase out production of petrol-only cars from 2019 which is a very big contribution from a car manufacturer that has been known to previously to cheat the emissions testing schemes, India has said that they want all electric cars by 2030. Norway and Germany are targeting 2020 and 2025. So that's, that's a huge and aggressive target that's being set by the European nations, which they're going to need to work really hard to achieve because at the moment, in 2016, Only about 3.6% of new cars registered in Western Europe are actually electric or hybrid. So to get to 100% is going to take some time. Now hybrids are seeming to be the more common solution with seeing a lot more growth than say uh, electric only battery based cars, but it's still going to take some time to hit these targets. So it's good to see the automotive industry trying to get the cost of production down and making it more readily available for consumers because that's what our planet needs. Coordinated market-wide action makes economic sense as well as makes sense for the health and well-being of all of us who live on this planet now and in the future. What happens to all these batteries in the future is a very, very important question. Now, we're talking a lot here about lithium batteries, lithium ion batteries, and they're the predominant market type of battery. There are other types such as nickel metal hydride or in development, as we've spoken about before, potassium based batteries. But for now, we're really pretty much relying on a few mines in Bolivia, Argentina and Chile where most of our lithium comes from we don't really bother recycling lithium because at the moment the cost of mining new lithium is so much cheaper than the cost of processing and recycling it so we don't really bother Um, however there's a lot of iron nickel cobalt and other metals inside these batteries that tend to be recaptured and recycled now if you're using a nickel metal hydride battery there's a lot more um, that can be recycled from it but the problem is that they have a higher discharge rate so they're, they're a little bit more expensive and difficult to make and run in the long term. The other problem is that, well, whilst there's more you can recycle in it, the cadmium inside the nickel metal hydride batteries is a lot more toxic. So it's net worse for the environment. So a lot needs to be done to solve the problem of battery reuse and battery recycling, because if you're going to have all these batteries floating around the world in cars and in stationary storage, once they reach the end of life, we need to come up with a good solution for that. And for example, the U.S. Department of Energy has recently awarded last year a $9.5 million grant to Toxco to build the first battery recycling facility for lithium-ion car batteries. And that is what we are going to need more of if we have more of these type of batteries scattered across the world. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, The Green Point. The challenges of grid storage and large-scale battery solutions and how they're being implemented in Australia, plus new advancements in battery technology in the automotive industry and beyond helping making our planet better. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Anatics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.